Hi, my name is Sydney Mitchell. Hi, I'm Matthew Brickman, Florida Supreme Court mediator. Welcome to the Mediate This podcast, where we discuss everything mediation and conflict resolution. So today I am joined by Rio Rocket. I'm going to let Rio introduce himself, and we're just going to be talking um, a lot about alimony. Rio's got lots and lots of questions about alimony, and we may digress to some other uh, various topics throughout this episode, may even cut it into two or three episodes. Um, we've just got so much content to to hit. So Rio, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners, um, sort of how you're involved with the podcast, but yet so many questions. Hello, audience. My name is Rio Rocket. I am the manager of this podcast and co-creator, along with Matthew Brickman. Uh, Matthew and I have known each other for about 15 years now, and we came up with this idea a few years back, and I'm glad we did. I'm an actor, musician, spokesperson for Lowe's. I've been following the podcast since its inception, obviously. And one topic that always makes my head spin is Florida alimony reform. I lived in Florida for approximately two years. And, you know, Florida's a wonderful place, especially South Florida, where I live. But their alimony reform bill is something that I just can't wrap my head around as to why it has not been passed yet. And today I'm really looking forward to discussing that. So, um, so Rio, I guess just... Ask away, and I'll try to answer as much as possible. Oh, well, actually, actually, you know what? For the listeners, you're you lived in New, in in Florida for two years, but currently you're in New York. Yes, I'm born and raised in New York City, and I moved down to Florida and found out I knew a lot of people there that I didn't even realize lived there. But I moved down to Florida in 2007 and stayed there to about 2009. That's where I met Matthew Brickman and. You know, I've known him ever since, and now I'm back in New York City, and you never know where I'll be next. Yeah. So, so, and and for the podcast, you know, Sydney and I always talk, as you well know, and and just to remind the listeners, we're going to be talking primarily Florida law, uh, but it's important to know the laws of your individual state uh, with regards to the topics that we're going to be talking about today. I know that Florida and New York are different, uh, but we're going to be focusing on Florida law, being that that is where I live. That is where I am a mediator. I deal with Florida law um, all the time, but it is important to know the laws of your state. Um, and this is not legal advice. We're talking about just the knowledge that I have concerning what I deal with every day in mediation um, and all the various things that I keep running across as a mediator for 16 years. Um, so yeah, Rio, ask away. Okay. So one thing that comes to mind when we're speaking about lifetime alimony is, for example, let's say I marry someone. We're both 20 years old. We're divorced by 30 years old and we both lived hypothetically to 100. Does that mean in the state of Florida, I may have to pay alimony for 70 years, which is seven times the length of the marriage. So so one of the things that um, that Florida finally did, and I think it was around 2016 or so, was Florida actually uh, defined, you know, before it was sort of like an understood, not, you know, everyone uses that term, it's not written in stone. They finally wrote in stone the different types of alimonies 
um, and when they're appropriate and what they cover. So um, under your scenario, it wouldn't be a lifetime um, and I'm going to use the word sentence because it, for a lot of people, it's what it feels like, um, is a, a sentence, the lifetime sentence. Um, so in Florida, there are different types. So starting out for a, um, they, they first clearly defined what is a short term, midterm and long term marriage. So short term is under seven years. Um, it could be a minute long. Um, or it could be up to seven years. Um, seven to 17 is considered midterm. And then you've got long term, which is 17 years or prior. A lot of times people ask that question of, okay, well, we were married for this long. So how much am I going to owe or how long am I going to owe? Well, the length of the marriage does not tell you whether or not you're eligible for it. The length only tells you what type you might be eligible for. But first, you have to get past need versus ability to pay. I've never met. I mean, I in, in 48 years, I was fine. I've never met anybody that said, no, 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 no. I don't need any more money. I'm good. Right. Uh, if that was true, Elon wouldn't be doing what Elon is doing. Buffett wouldn't be doing what Buffett's doing. You know, um, and so first, you have to get past need and ability. Need, not, not, not hard. Ability, that can be a little bit tricky and difficult because, you know, in America, being a consumer society, um, we usually want to uh, spend more than we earn. And so we live life on credit and upside down. And so when we're dividing up assets and liabilities in a divorce, you know, are, you know, is there an ability to pay? Um, and there's so many different ways to chop that up. I mean, hypothetically, if, if the husband and the wife, let's just say hypothetically, have accumulated $100,000 in, in liabilities. Now, it's in the husband's name. It's on his credit card. So let's just say that they happen to all be in his name. The bank can't supersede the court and the court can't supersede the bank. So it's not like we can say, okay, well, wife, you're responsible for 50%. And if she defaults, the bank's going to come after her. No, they're not. They're going to come after whoever signed the contract to get the debt. And that's the husband. So while she's 50% responsible um, in a family court, he's 100% responsible to the bank. So then we would take all the other assets and we would do an equitable distribution chart and we would try to equalize them unless there's marital dissipation and waste. We try to equalize them. But let's say, for example, that the husband's like, look, you know what? I'll take all the debt. I'll take it all. Well, actually, once we do equalization, if he's taking all the debt, it doesn't matter what she's getting in an asset. She, she's in green, he's in red, right? Um, or black and red, right? And so then she's like, well, I want alimony. Okay, well, if he's taking on his 50000 in debt plus your 50000 in debt, and you're walking away solvent, depending on the rest of what they have, there may or may not be an ability to pay. Um, and that's and, and so first we have to do a need versus ability to pay analysis. How do we do that? Well, we do that because everybody has to fill out a financial affidavit. A financial affidavit, I call two different things. It's either an exercise in reality because most people have no idea what they make or what they spend. Or it's just a budget form. 
The problem is most people don't live on a budget. That's why they live beyond their means. So once they start writing everything down, okay, this is my paycheck. Oh, that's what I make after taxes? And wait a second, this is what we have for debt? Rio, I mean, I've even had people sitting in mediation going, we spend what on a cable bill? It's like, well, you wanted your pay-per-view and you wanted your movie channel and you wanted your Netflix. It's like, they have no clue what they're spending, right? And so once we do this whole analysis, the end of the form, it says, it says uh, surplus or deficiency. <laughs> Rio, it's been, it really has been years since I've seen surplus. Like deficient, even 300 deficient, it's deficient. Like it's just deficient. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, so they, we have to do that first. And then once we figure that out, well, in Florida, and this was part of alimony reform, I believe it was 2016 in the bill that the House passed and the Senate passed, but then the governor vetoed it. We actually had a calculator. Oh, that would have made life so much easier for practitioners because we have a calculator with child support. I mean, even New York has a, has a calculator for child support, right? Mm-hmm. But... To be able to say, okay, this is what we get for alimony. And and what they did was in that 2016 bill, it was based on a threshold. So you would put the number uh, or you, you, would, you would put the, the date of marriage. You would put the date of filing because that's your quadrant for defining what is marital, what is non-marital. And it would then say, okay, it's been 10 years, right? And then it had a threshold for duration, how long you have to pay, and a threshold for amount. And it spat out a number. It was like, that was great. Now, basically what they did back in the day where they were copying, um, I don't know if you, you, you I don't know, you, you may remember when I interviewed Matthew Barrick. Um, yeah. He, you know, he spearheaded the uh, alimony reform up in the Northeast. And that's what Florida has been trying to copy for years. The problem is these politicians keep putting things in there that are constitutionally improper. Like you just, you, you can't do it. And that's what keeps killing it. If they would actually follow the exact model, we'd have it but they don't. They like to come in and add this and tweak this. And they already set up, you know, as, as Matthew had explained in that previous interview, how to do it and how to do it right. So we, so we don't have a, a calculator, which would make it easy, but we do know generally what the courts are doing. And alimony cannot create a savings component. Alimony is improper to equalize their incomes and alimony cannot leave uh, the receiver with more money uh, than the payor. But being that they clearly defined short-term, mid-term, long-term marriage, then they went through and they defined, well, okay, for a short-term marriage, here's the appropriate types of alimony, if you can get past need and ability. In a mid-term marriage, they created um, bridge, uh, no, not, not bridge the gap, um, durational. And durational Durational makes sense. Like you're not getting paid longer than you were married. Like, right. And I think that's what you were alluding to in your first question. Like, why would you be married for 10 years? I got to pay you for 70. Yes. Yes. Durational took care of that and said, no, you, you, you were not getting paid a dime longer than you were actually married. And they created durational when they were looking at terminating 
lifetime. Like, let's just get this off the books. It, it, it's just not fair. It's not right. It's not fair. It's just improper. And so they created durational. Now, generally in Florida, at least, the courts, for the most part, are doing 50%. So if it's a 10-year marriage, it's five years. Uh, but still, they there, there has to be an exact finding. Um, you got to get past need and ability. And then they look at a whole bunch of factors. There's a number of factors in the statute, um, like the age, uh, their health, their employability, their education. And it says in there, the marital assets and liabilities distributed to each. So it depends. How was it distributed? Was it equal? Was it unequal? They look at the parenting plan, that their their parental responsibility to the kids, child support. Um, and one of the factors is how long was the marriage? It's not just, oh, we had a 10-year marriage. Okay, alimony. No, that's one of the factors. You still have to get past need and ability. Um, and so that's sort of like just a foundation for, you know, how do you actually look at it? What do we as practitioners, what do I look at? Um, and then we've got some guidance from the courts for generally what they try to get the receiver around a percentage of the of the combined net incomes um but it's not you know it, it's not so clear-cut that oh it's longer than 17 years lifetime because in the statute it does talk about well you've got to make specific findings and then it's and it talks about well you've got to look and see and, and everything rio in our, in our statute is may not shall it's well, it could be potentially. Um, and I, th I think that part of the reason, at least from what I've heard from like a lot of practitioners, not the general public, but judges, lawyers, is one of the reasons why it's not passing with exact formulas, exactness that would give the general public a sense of. I guess, I guess information, like you could make an informed decision if you have an exact calculation, right? But by not having a calculation, it leaves discretion up to the judges and the attorneys, and they can argue it, and they can make cases, and they can get paid, and the whole system goes round and round and round. Um, is that good for the general public? No, I don't think so. Um, general public likes certainty. Um, you know, people getting divorced go, okay, it's equitable distribution. I, we're cutting everything, date of marriage, date of filing in, in, in half. Okay, we have to set up a parenting plan. Generally, we know what the courts in Florida have been doing since 20, uh, 2011. There, and, and here's the thing, you know, here's another reason, and I know that you said you've been following Florida law for uh, the alimony reform. One of the reasons why alimony reform keeps failing is because they keep, ju just like Washington on a large scale, Tallahassee on a state scale, keeps doing what politicians do, and they throw things in the bill that don't belong. And then maybe for one of those reasons, you don't get alimony reform. So they throw in time sharing. Don't throw in equal time sharing with children in an alimony reform bill. Make it its separate bill. Now, maybe they maybe they know something going, well, if we make it its own bill, it'll never get passed. Well, then don't throw it in alimony reform because that's complicating things 
And so I think it was Rick Scott, I think in 2016, I think um, he vetoed alimony reform because of the presumption or premise of 50-50 in the time and in the alimony bill for, for kids. It wasn't the alimony. It was the kid part that he vetoed and that screwed up alimony. Mm. Like stop throwing things in there that don't belong. Um, and so that's, that's another frustrating part of it. But generally the public knows, okay, well, we're, you know, we're going to do equitable distribution. We're going to set up timesharing. You know, we're going to run child support as a statutory number. And then there's all this ambiguity and vagueness, which allows the attorneys to go in and the judges to have discretion. And, you know, and, and I will tell you, Rio, if let's go back to your scenario. So you got maybe like 10 years of alimony, right? We'll do a rough calculation and do like, okay, if you can get past need and ability and whatnot, we can say, okay, you could possibly be on the hook for X amount of dollars, right? Right. We always have the conversation of, okay, well, what is it going to cost to pay your attorney to potentially get you out of that? Well, it's a whole lot cheaper than you just sucking, sucking it up and paying it. Right. So you do a cost-benefit analysis. It's like, now I'll go to court and take my chances. Now, sometimes it's like, okay, you pay and then you pay. But a lot of times it's like, well, you might be able to get it reduced. And in court, there has to be a specific finding. So like it's it's evidentiary. You have to produce every single bank statement, every single credit card. Like you better back up every single number on a financial affidavit and if you can't now, I mean, it's a specific finding rather than mediation. It's a negotiation. Everything's up for negotiation, right? So what's the shortest length marriage in which you've seen lifetime alimony awarded? Oh, I have not seen lifetime in, um, in anything under 17 ever. Okay. So yeah. it's all... Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I believe in the statute, there has to be extenuating circumstances for a court. And again, it's specific findings for a court to say, okay, we're going to give lifetime for a short term, even a moderate term marriage. Occasionally, Sydney and I will be releasing Q&A bonus episodes where we will answer your questions and give you a personal shout out. If you have a comment or question regarding anything that we discuss, email us at info at iChatMediation.com. That's info at iChat, I-C-H-A-T, Mediation.com. And stay tuned to hear your shout out and have your question answered here on the show. For more information about my services or to schedule your mediation with me, either in person or using my iChat Mediation virtual platform built by Cisco Communications, visit me online at imediating.com. Call me at 561-262-9121, toll free at 877-822-1479, or email me at mbrickman at iChatMediation.com.